Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The world cannot keep the pace with changes and challenges. Today, Ukraine is a candidate country to access the European Union. We are strategically interlocked together with our friends and partners. We always try in Davos to focus on the global agenda in a comprehensive and in a holistic manner. The World Economic Forum. It's the biggest gathering of leaders from business, government and civic society all gathered here in the Swiss Alps for a week of discussion and networking. I'm Suzanne Lynch, Political's Chief Brussels Correspondent, and our team is coming to you this week from Davos in Switzerland. If you haven't been following along this week, we've produced bonus episodes of our EU Confidential podcast each day from the World Economic Forum this week. We've debated everything from crypto to the subsidy spat spilling out onto the snowy promenade between EU and American officials. And we've been covering the controversy over the succession plans, or lack of, of Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum. Also in this final episode from Davos, we're digging into the issue which has dominated discussions this week, Russia's war in Ukraine. On the main stage of the World Economic Forum's Congress Centre, we've heard from figures like Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. We'll reveal how their messages are landing here in the halls of Davos. Also throughout the week, we've been sitting down with top officials to get a sense of where the West and the world goes from here in its support for Ukraine. So let's get into some analysis of the big themes here this week in Davos. I'm joined by our expert panel who have been reporting from WEF all week. Aaron Banco, national security reporter from the US. Alex Ward, also national security reporter in Washington. And Ryan Heath, editorial director. Erin, let's start with you. So one of the big issues here this week was Ukraine. I mean, you wrote earlier in the week, actually, about the absence of Russia here at WEF again for the second year. It's it's very, very obvious. Uh, But the big piece was Wednesday with the address by Volodymyr Zelensky. The world was hesitant in 2022 when Russia, without hesitation, made the war full scale. The world must not hesitate today and ever. The Ukrainian president spoke to the forum virtually just after news of this awful helicopter crash had come in. So that kind of overshadowed things in a sense. He he began with a minute's silence. I shall ask you to honor the memory of every person Ukraine has lost with a minute of silence. Please. 
What else did he say? What was his message here? So Russia's absence has really left a vacuum here at WEF that Ukraine has been able to fill. President Zelensky had another virtual uh, message that came up on the big screen in the big center. Uh, He talked about a couple of different things. What he always talks about, A, is weapons and the need for the West to continue to send more advanced weapons. He talked specifically about tanks. The supply of Ukraine with air defense systems must outpace Russia's next missile attacks. The supplies of Western tanks must outpace another invasion of Russian tanks. There's a huge conversation going on in the international community, particularly among the U.S. and Germany, about the extent to which they'll continue to support the country, but also whether or not they will send these uh, very specialized tanks to Ukraine. It's something that Zelensky has been asking for for quite a while. But I would say in general, President Zelensky's message was something we've heard before. It sort of repeated a lot of the same talking points uh, that we've heard from him in the past several months. Uh, His wife's visit to Davos was particularly exciting for everyone here. She showed up at the Ukraine house here on the promenade, and that created sort of a lot of buzz, and everyone tried to get into that event. Uh, But we'll have to sort of see what comes out of these tank discussions, I think that's something everyone's really watching. Yeah, there's a key meeting, of course, on Friday at Ramstein Air Base in Germany on that. And it links into the other big speech uh, this week, which was that by German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Alex, now, yourself and myself have been writing about transatlantic relations all week here. and But Scholz, obviously, a big figure in the EU, big figure internationally. And there's been a lot of pressure on Germany to do more and give the green light to its leopard tanks to be sent to Ukraine. Just explain that to our listeners, why Germany needs to give this authorization for that. Well, first, I have not failed to say Ramstein correctly ever since I listened to German hard rock back in my youth. (laughs) Uh, But the issue is that these are German-made leopard tanks. And so when they are in other countries, they need Germany to basically give a sort of trade authorization to give to Ukraine. So that's why there's sort of two issues at heart here. One is Germany sending its own leopard tanks to Ukraine, and the other is Germany authorizing others to send it. Here in Davos, a couple of things have happened. One is, in his speech, Schultz sort of alluded to the idea that he would not give the tanks or give the authorization until the U.S. sent Abrams tanks of its own to Ukraine. And so there had to be sort of a dual motion. In fact, he, he again alluded to that in his speech. And this is the strategy we have, that we are um, strategically interlocked together with our friends and partners, that we are working together with them, that we are discussing with them, and that we are never doing something just by ourselves, but together with others, especially the United States, which are very important in this common task to defend the Ukrainian independence and sovereignty. And then we at Politico found out that he spoke to U.S. lawmakers, about 12 of them, that are here as part of the delegation behind closed doors, and told them very directly, that is the deal. That is the trade. Mm. It has to be Abrams for leopards. And also German media reporting that Schultz has conveyed that message to Biden directly. So this is now the tussle that's playing out here in Davos and across the transatlantic uh, alliance. You know, I was in the Congress hall when Schultz was giving his speech for some of it. And, you know, he did make the point, I suppose, trying to communicate that Germany has already given 12 billion euro and helped to Ukraine last year, that this has been a huge sea change in German public opinion to even get involved to this extent. That is why we are continuously supplying Ukraine with large quantities of arms in close consultation with our partners. 
This includes air defense systems like IRIS-T or Patriot, artillery and armored infantry fighting vehicles marking a profound turning point in German foreign and security policy. You're really feeling that Germany's trying to get that message across. And yet we have so many, even European figures, ask them to more. Here's Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabrielius Landsbergis. Well, one thing that already hap- is happening also as we speak is uh, UK committing to sending their main battle tanks because uh, Germany and German Chancellor would mention that and has mentioned that a couple of times that he's not willing to send German tanks alone, and, you know, to single out the country. So from now on, Germany would not be just a single country sending out the tanks. There will be um, a Rammstein group meeting talking about the further commitment. I would not be surprised that out of this meeting uh, would come a decision to send uh, German tanks as well. Okay. You're talking there about the need to send even more arms and weapons. Is there not a risk that that could escalate the situation, that it's dragging NATO into a conflict? Well, my main worry is the opposite, is uh, that always what, what we feel and what we fear, you know, being so close to where the conflict is, is that our assistance, Western assistance, is slowing down. And then my question is, are we serious about Ukraine winning this war? Because if we're not, then we're entering a very, very dangerous period in European continent. That could be compared to Cold War years. And in order to bring back stability, we have to commit to Ukrainian victory. So strong words there from Lithuania. I mean, they're one of the big voices around the EU table asking uh, Europe to do more. Another issue that was featuring here was the reconstruction of Ukraine and what that might look like. We spoke to the president of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, Odile Renaud-Basso. One of the key themes already at Davos has been what to do about the war in Ukraine, but even more so, you know, what comes next? Say Ukraine is won, or even if not, you know, how do we rebuild a nation that has been decimated by Russian missiles and, and, and other actions? I mean, we're where does the money come from, quite literally, to pay for the reconstruction of Ukraine? Let's just start there, because I don't think people have a good sense of, you know, literally where that money comes from. But thank you for the question. Yeah. But I, I think it's also very important to underline the need to support Ukraine now, because um, if Ukraine is not sustained now, it's not supported now, they cannot move to reconstruction because they cannot win the war. Now, as well as Ukraine has done in the war, uh, the government has done a phenomenal job, I think we could say, it is still a government that has a bunch of corruption problems. And so how do you navigate that? Because Ukraine's gonna, the Ukrainian government's going to you know, say we want these projects done, XYZ projects. It's probably not going to reform in time while people are clamoring for help. So how do you navigate that as well? Because, you know, Ukraine, again, as, as great as the government has been in the war, it's not particularly, you know, the most corrupt free of governments. So indeed, I fully agree with you that in the context of the war, the functioning of the Ukrainian government has in a way very much improved and is much more efficient and uh, than it used to be. So I think the war, because I mean, it focuses the mind sure. and you have, I mean, some very important progress have been made, for example, in management of the procurement. We help with a sort of digital platform, Zoro, in order to improve quick procurement and transparent procurement for government and administration. And as I was saying, we are still working on improving you know, governance. The government has taken some positive step on legal uh, reform of the judicial system. 
So I think that we need to, and we are sticking to our principle and request, for example, in the clients we agree to work with or not. So we work with clients, we are, we know them, uh, we are confident that they will manage, co- I mean, in a good manner, the funds we are uh, providing them. So even if the circumstances are, are very challenging, we need to preserve our standards in the way we intervene and support the country. And I think we manage to combine high level of standards and effectiveness and rapidity. Is there a situation in which you know money that Ukraine wants for rebuilding would not be sent because of corruption or, or lack of reform issues in Ukraine? I think that may happen. I think that if we want, because we need also, you know, we get some support from countries, from taxpayers from other countries in order to be able to do what we are doing in Ukraine. And so we need to provide them with the confidence that the money which they give to Ukraine is well spent. So I think that's something which we need to be able to do that if there are if circumstances you describe happen. Stay with us because coming up in part two of the podcast, we'll get more details about EU-US tensions over subsidies, an issue which has been dominating much of our coverage throughout the week for Politico. And we'll hear from the Secretary General of Amnesty International, Anya Kalamar, as well as Irish leader Leo Varadkar. Stay with us. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We're back, and I want to bring in our colleague Ryan Heath. Now, Ryan, I have to say that I couldn't help being struck by the fact that Microsoft announced it was cutting up to 10,000 jobs here during the week, and then the CEO, Satya Nadella, was on stage with Couch Schwab and the news had started to emerge at that point. And, you know, the question was never asked. And it was almost you could see this this gap between the C-suite executives and actually the workers in some of these companies. So it was a kind of an intrusion of reality into this kind of world, this bubble we're in here now. But Ryan, you've been reporting on the World Economic Forum for many years, and it's this forum we see that brings business, politics, lawmakers and civic society together. Are you disappointed with some of the outcomes this week or are you surprised or what would you describe as the main outcomes of the World Economic Forum this year? Well, I think there's always an official WEF narrative and then there's all the other discussions that happen. And increasingly, the interesting discussions happen outside of the Congress Centre because the hard news topics don't get addressed, because the people who ask the questions like Klaus Schwab 
often are not journalists. And it's not always the case when a journalist is running the session that the hard questions are asked. So I think there is a problem where you have these two halves of Davos inside and outside the Congress Center. I have been part of some interesting discussions about accountability outside, including on climate. How do you actually move from this space of the nice PR promises and billboards around net zero to the very complicated work across your supply chain as a company to really eliminate all of the carbon? And that was a good serious discussion and I was happy to have it. We had pride on the promenade on Wednesday night and that was very much about big companies saying that they want to move into an action zone to support their own workers because they think it's the right thing to do around making sure that LGBTQ communities around the world aren't subject to the sort of things that the Saudi government or the Emirati government subjects those people to, which includes Punishment by death if you're caught in gay acts. And, you know, this is always a topic of discussion at Davos. Certain countries, certain regimes who have a prominent presence here. And how do you engage with that? You know, should they be here? That whole debate. We sat down with Amnesty International Secretary General, who shared her assessment of this. So thank you very much. My name is Agnès Calamar, and I'm the Secretary General of Amnesty International. In particular, the area of human rights. Are you concerned about some of the regimes that are represented here? I'm thinking of Saudi Arabia. Well, look, I'm always concerned when um, governments that are responsible for massive human rights violations are given a platform and are enabled or empowered, emboldened. That is always a concern of mine. It's not just in Davos. You know, I was at, <laughs> I was in uh, in Egypt at COP, so that was also a big issue. And so it is, of course, a challenge. That they should be there physically is one thing, you know. I understand the nature of the and the vision behind it. When I draw the line is when those actors are made to believe that they are free of any kind of obligations vis-a-vis their own people and vis-a-vis the rest of the world when they are given a platform that they do not deserve. That is where I think the problems become very acute. So, in other words, we need to be honest about the records of these countries and not try and whitewash it. I, absolutely. And there needs to be engagement on those on those issues. I do get alarmed when I see special session about what Saudi Arabia can do and what other countries with, a, frankly, an appalling track record uh, can do to the world. Saudi Arabia, notwithstanding their human rights record, is an actor whose entire economy is based on the oil industry, which is at the heart of the climate change. So just that particular issue, the fact that they've really, over the last year, instrumentalized Russia's aggression against Ukraine to push for their own agenda and to bring back the fossil fuel at the heart of the uh, global economy, that is so problematic. And there is no discussion around that here. There were also some discussions here, as you say, on the periphery. Like this is the structure of Davos in the main Congress Centre. We have all these panel discussions going on all day, very public gatherings and staged events. But around the promenade and around on the edges, we have sometimes the more interesting conversations. And of course, we have Greta Thunberg here today at Davos participating in some events outside the Congress Centre. I also think a lot of the conversations that are taking place aren't necessarily in the hubs either. I think that people are holding, you know, private breakfasts and coffees and, you know, meetings one-on-one. I've certainly found as a journalist that 
have barely been in the Congress Center. All the best conversations, including you know, with even the crypto companies have been over coffee. Uh, and you you sort of find them in these unguarded moments where they're able to really tell you what they think and feel. And I think that's probably where most of the action is taking place behind the scenes. I mean, looking back on the week, Ryan, the theme of this World Economic Forum was cooperation in a fragmented world. It does feel pretty fragmented. Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, from the crypto folks who can't figure out how to define themselves through to the debate about how much to support Ukraine, through to the fact that the financiers here are living in their own bubble and don't really engage in a lot of the discussions the rest of us are having. Uh, Yeah, it's very fragmented. And I think Klaus Schwab isn't able to impose a narrative and announce what the big win of the week is. Maybe he could once upon a time, but that's not the world we live in now. Yeah, very true. I mean, the fragmentation as well. I mean, bringing in Alex here, this whole, which we've been talking about all week, this sense that countries are retrenching into their own national blocks or their own economic blocks and moving away from globalization and thinking about how they can shore up their own domestic industries. Like this is the polar opposite to what Davos is supposed to stand for, which is free trade and globalization, etc. And Alex, on that issue of free trade and protectionism, we've been writing about this ongoing interaction between the EU and the US on the Inflation Reduction Act. And some great reporting that we found out here about Joe Manchin. He's the man of the moment, the senator from West Virginia. We've been seeing him throughout the week here. And uh, now he's been getting FaceTime with leaders uh, over the last few weeks and months, we realize. Yeah, he is the U.S. lawmaker who helped get the Inflation Reduction Act through Congress, in part because he wrote a section of the bill that included, you know, for $369 billion, not a small section, that included incentives for the energy and climate industries. Now, this has rankled people here in Europe, uh, leaders in Europe who are upset that this could be hurting their industries. And Joe Manchin is now here as part of the delegation and kind of the face of this. And and sort of the, you know, the guy who uh, effectively broke (laughs) the transatlantic economic uh, order for it temporarily is here to put it back together. And so he's been talking to, in recent months, you know, Emmanuel Macron, but since he's been here in Europe with the Luxembourg Prime Minister uh, Xavier uh, Bettel and also with Olaf Scholz uh, privately. Yeah, well, you can read our report on Politico.com and Politico.eu. Some of those fresh details are fascinating about Joe, about Joe Manchin and his meetings with these EU leaders. It's somebody who's very familiar in the US, but not that well known in Europe. Not any longer, though. I mean, here's Irish leader Leo Varadkar speaking this morning, and he made the point that, yes, the discussion is about subsidies, is about trying to cultivate homegrown industries. But he doesn't want the pendulum to swing too far. Well, you know, I, I think we're a long way from a trade war between the EU and the US. Um, but what the US has done with its Inflation Reduction Act um, is it is stepping in essentially to subsidise its businesses. And uh, that is done t- to a degree at the expense of businesses outside of America. And because of that, there has to be a European response. Uh, so the risk is a tit-for-tat scenario uh, whereby both the US and the EU um, try to compete with each other uh, when it comes to subsidies at the expense of our own taxpayers or try to bring in trade restrictions on each other and that never works. Um, Europe and America benefit from free trade, won't benefit from any form of protectionism so we'll be very much a voice at the table um, in Brussels for the EU and the US to come together and really agree on how we can work together to boost those green industries, which we want to do as well, whether it's electric vehicles or whether it's uh, offshore energy and avoid getting into a subsidy war, which will actually just cost taxpayers in both places a lot of money. 
So thanks guys for being here throughout the week. We're nearly at the finish line. Politico has been here throughout the week and we've been monitoring this from our perch just over the Congress Centre. It's been a fascinating week with lots of different competing agendas, lots of different competing priorities. But I think as Ryan, you said, nothing really emerging as a key win here for WEF. But we survived. I'm telling you... I survived Davos and all I got was this lousy pink sweater, Suzanne. That's my takeaway. <laughs> it looks for the good week. on you, Ryan. It looks good. Thank you so much for uh, to the panel for joining me, Erin, Alex, and Ryan. Uh, thank you for listening, both our listeners throughout the week for Davos Confidential and our regular EU Confidential podcast listeners. We'll be back next Thursday with our regular EU Confidential podcast. Make sure you don't miss it. Uh, that's a wrap. And thanks to everyone here who's been helping out with our political broadcast throughout the week. And that includes our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez, who has been organising and driving this coverage throughout the week. Thank you again and thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm.